It is a Thursday edition of Birds 365. You got a uh, three-way contributing at the top. Yours truly, Jody McDonald. Jeff Kerr is the sidekick today. And John McMullen will step into the guest spot to start the show. He's got COVID testing to get through today. And, Johnny, may you fail your test miserably. No, I'm only kidding. Uh Hope all is well uh, with you. And glad to get both of you two guys here. Uh, McMullen, we will start with you since we know you've got to uh, exit stage left. Nick Sirianni yesterday met with the media, and I would say it was probably the toughest session that he's ever had with the media, just judging you guys, the uh, assembled uh, questioners who kind of put him through his paces yesterday. Uh, I thought he he was uh, good enough to hold back the fire, but it was the toughest media session he's ever had. How do you think he did? And am I correct in saying, yeah, the guys were out for a little blood yesterday? Uh, I don't, I don't think we were out for blood. I just think there were some obvious questions that, that he needed to answer. Uh, the themes, the obvious themes, obviously no pre-snap motion. Um, the running, uh, aspect of it, um, uh, and then the discipline issue, the penalties, uh, you know, because he always talks about accountability. Uh, and then one thing I, I did want to get into and I didn't was um, his reaction uh, to Derek Barnett and, and things like that. Because, you know, Derek Barnett, and it, this is not a defense of him, uh, he, he's made some uh, boneheaded uh, decisions. Um, and they predate Nick Sirianni, but it's also not only him. I, I think he's been called for two of the 35 penalties uh, officially. That's not him. <laughs> That's not only him. So uh, I, I don't think he can show that frustration as a head coach, but obviously you only have limited time. So there were some obvious questions. I, I don't think it was hard. I think he handled it fine. I think it's fair to, you know, scratch your head at some of the answers, especially we consider, you know, some RPOs that end up as a pass or run. Well, Nick, maybe you should take away the, Oh, maybe you should take away the option and just hand off, hand off the football. You're, you are allowed to do that. It is not an indictable offense, even though some people who think the league is going a certain way, think it is, it isn't. You're allowed to turn around and hand the football out, hand the football off, and take the option away from the quarterback. And when the same thing is happening over and over again, you can't just say, well, we consider this a, a running play. A running play is baked in. A running play is called. Well, you didn't run it. John, I almost started a little battle on Twitter last night um, with my stat on the league leaders in yards per carry on first down, and it's Miles Sanders by a long shot. And someone said to me, well, that's a misleading stat. And from a guy who still plays a sport in tournaments where your average is your average bowling, you know, it's not misleading. It is what it is. Like, why doesn't this coach see this stuff? Like, if he's getting fed all this information, why doesn't he see that and say, oh, you know what? We might actually get ourselves in the second and manageable if we just give our guy the ball. 
Well, I, I do think there's context. So I hate to agree with Twitter trolls, but I, I, I do think there's context. For instance, if you're, you know, if you're Derrick Henry, and I say this all the time, and Miles has tremendous statistics over his first two seasons, he, he doesn't have the volume that those guys have. He, he's not given the attention uh, those guys have as the top running backs in the NFL. So there is, you know, the more you get it, the more attention you're going to get, the more those numbers are going to go down. Um, and more to the mean, and then you really start to figure out who the the best runners are in a league, and we all know who who those names are. Um, and Miles is a very explosive runner. Uh, he's certainly the best runner on this team, but I don't think he belongs in that conversation. So I'll start off with that. But I also believe he's got to be given the football, certainly on this team with these playmakers. Uh, more than two times on the ground in any football game, any football game. So that's what I'm saying. If you're in the guts of the game and you're you're calling RPO, 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 and you're saying, well, there's the option. I mean, if the defender does this, we're going to hand the ball off, and it's just not happening, that's where you have to put on the brakes and say, now we got to get the football to this guy this is the same coach who said it's about players, players, players first. So if your original plan isn't getting the football to one of your best players, you have to go players, 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 and cross out that original plan and go to something else. And that's where I say, take the option off the table. I was very worried about this college, and I, I used that term a little tongue-in-cheek, but I was very worried about this offense getting really repetitive really quickly. And I didn't think it would happen this quickly. And we're here pretty quickly. Jay Mack, I'll uh, give you one of the answers that Nick gave that I kind of rolled my eyes at. Uh, talking about accountability, talking about players not doing what they're supposed to do, a.k.a. Uh, taking penalties. Uh, he said that uh, when they're in game film reviewing afterwards, sometimes they say, hey, we've got to do this. And then sometimes they say, hey, we've got to do this. Really? <laughs> Raising your voice is going to get the guys to not jump offside, not go downfield too quickly on an offensive lineman on a passing play, which may or may not be a passing play because it's an RBO. Nick raising his voice is going to remove the penalties from the Philadelphia Eagles, the most penalized team in the NFL. Did you find that kind of uh, eye-rolling too? No, I didn't. For uh, Maybe I'm just used to Nick at this point. I, I kind of know what he was trying to say. Sometimes it's just a, a quick adjustment, and sometimes you just roll through it, and it's obvious. And other times you got to, I think he was trying to say, you got to raise your voice. You got to be a little bit more angry about it. I think he was just trying to explain the dichotomy of different situations. But yeah, I guess I, I, you know, I talk to the guy three times a week, so I kind of get a feel for him. So to others who don't get to see him that much, um, yeah, maybe it comes across. He, he, it, you know, but that's part of his personality, uh, part of his, and that's why you know, day one, everyone was like, "What the heck is this?" Now it, that we're deep into it, I kind of know what it is. I, I don't think personally, I don't think that was a big deal, but I can see how others would 
you know, say, oh, you know, what is this guy doing? But I just think that's his personality. He's trying to explain the differences in, in certain penalties. And, yeah, dumb personal foul is probably a little bit more than a questionable holding call on an offensive lineman. You know, on the latter, you might just say, you know, get your hands inside, borderline call on the former, uh, on the, on the on the penalty on the uh, personal foul, you might have to say, "This is stupid." And call the player out, John. I saw one of the memes yesterday on Twitter. I guess it was Nick Sirianni holding the paper or whatever. What was he trying to explain on that? I, I must have missed that yesterday. Yeah, Nick's great. He held up his game plan. The, 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 <laughs> I, I tried to get a picture of it. And I'm like, can I blow this up? Uh, he put it out there for everyone to see. I thought that was funny. That was uh, yesterday. He was trying to explain uh, when he grades plays and he puts the number of the player who made a mistake on the bottom left hand corner, uh, you know, and and then obviously makes the corrections. So it was one of those things. And I, I don't want to stop Nick Sirianni from doing that stuff, to be honest, because I think it's it's valuable. It explains how he does his job. It gives some gives some context, um, and that's the kind of stuff I think is good. That maybe other people say, "What is he doing?" What is, what? And, and I think it's always the more information you get, the more um, explanations you can give to the fans. I think is a good thing. And the last thing I want to do is put him in a shell where he doesn't offer up that kind of information that I, I love when he does stuff like that, to be honest. All right. Here's one of the questions. It wasn't asked yesterday, John, that I was hoping was going to be asked because I don't really know what Sirianni's answer would be. I would guess that would be a non-answer, but uh, I'd still like to hear him attempt to answer it. And it's a very difficult question to ask because it's very subjective. So far, the Eagles this year have had massive penalty problems and pretty major injury problems. And they handled their preseason, and I consider preseason, I won't even, if you want to, you can go all the way back to the summer when they had their non-mandatory workouts uh, and take it all the way up until yesterday. Or you could start it just from training camp. Anyway, you started. The Eagles have worried more about not doing too much uh, and not worried at all about not doing too little. Well, how do you correct not doing enough? Well, you can't because it's already come and gone. And they look like an underprepared team. Uh, the injuries, very subjective. Could more work? Have that gotten them in better condition? Built their bodies to not get hurt? Who knows? Well, we know what the results are. The results aren't good. They've had major injuries to major players. The question I would have liked to hear to ask was, if you had a chance to do it all over again, do you think you'd put some more work in before the season started? What do you think the coach's answer would be? Well, I, I think we have asked them that kind of numerous times throughout the process. And it's, you know, kind of he always defaults to he takes, you know, listens to the advice from the, the training staff, the medical staff, and formulates a plan. And he's always said, ultimately, it's up to him, uh, which I don't think is true. I think it's an organizational decision. So in a lot of ways, in fact, I know it's an organizational decision. So in a lot of ways, it's out of his hands. Um, as far as that stuff, 
Look, I, I, I think it's funny. You know, you have that term sports science. I think it's funny when you put the word science on something that's so uncertain because nobody, nobody can point to an avenue and say, this is the way to do it. This is this is the way. The Eagles are like everybody else. They hire these guys and, and they say, this this is this will help us get the get through the season. Our, our players will be fresher. I always say you can't legislate injuries. I guess, you know, to a certain extent, you cannot play guys, not practice guys. They're probably not going to get injured sitting down in a meeting room. Um, but when they get out to practice, and you saw it last week with Jordan Mailata, it doesn't even have to be a game. Right. This is a sport where guys are going to get hurt. And the the aging guys with an injury history – are more likely to get hurt. So they developed their plan. They hired the people they believe in and they're using that plan, but it's fair for people. Yeah. It's very fair for people to, to question it. Um, especially with this organization's history with injuries. But I, I think most of that has to do with sticking with aging players with an injury history. And I don't know how, yeah, I mean, I can't advocate moving on from Lane Johnson or, or, you know, they were thinking about trading Brandon Brooks, but with that contract, uh, they weren't going to get any bites. So, I mean, I guess you got to run it back. I, I don't know what you can do with players like that other than try to manage them through the week and get them to the game. I think that's what you should do. I think that's a very difficult answer, and I, I, I think it's out of the purview of Nick Sirianni, but he's tried to answer it many times, and that's he, he said he's not the expert when it comes to the training methods and, and the medical stuff, and that's other people, and they give him the advice, and this is what the Eagles have decided on. The problem is Howie Roseman might be making these decisions instead of R. Starnota, who's their chief medical officer and um, Ted Rath and Tom Hunkel are their, you know, sports science guys. Uh, speaking of Howie Roseman, um, I saw Jeff McClain got to ask uh, Nick Sariani about his, uh, I guess since Doug had the weekly meetings with Jeffrey Laurie, if Nick partaked in them and he said, well, I go in there every day and I'm like, Oh boy, you know, it's probably not the answer he should have gave, but you know, it is, it is what it is. What did you make of, you know, Nick Sirianni basically going into his, I mean, his, his CEO pretty much? Well, everybody knows Jeffrey Lurie's involved. Uh, so I, I think, and I can't speak for Jeff, but I think he was just trying to get on record of when, when it happens. I, everybody knows uh, Jeffrey's involved. Um, I, I do, you know, the Peterson meetings – were organizational meetings. Um, so Jeffrey would have um, essentially Howie, uh, Doug, and, and Don Smolensky, which I think is funny uh, for this reason. So take after the famous story about Green Bay, um, where the Eagles upset Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau Field, and uh, Jeffrey Lawrence asking Doug Peterson, uh, why didn't you run the, uh, why didn't you pass the football more? They ran it. They were very successful. And I, I get a kick out of it because it was an organization. It wasn't a meeting with Doug Peterson per se. 
it was the organizational meeting with his heads of each department um, that he had every week. And then I could just imagine he would go to Don, Don Smolensky and say, you know, what about, what about the recycling efforts at Lincoln financial field? You know, that was the meeting that, that it was an organizational meeting. It wasn't a football meeting. He was asking Doug Peterson about his expertise, then Don, then Howie. And so I do think that was a little bit overblown by how they did it, but everybody knows Jeffrey's, uh, involved. Everybody knows, uh, if the if the head coach isn't going to talk to Jeffrey Lurie, well, yeah, eventually he's going to come talk to you. Uh, I, I do find the hire more and more interesting as it goes on for a couple reasons. Nick Sirianni doesn't seem to be much of an analytics-based coach, which surprises me. Seems more old school, seems far lesser uh, analytically driven than Doug Peterson was. Um, and that doesn't kind of mesh with, with Jeffrey Lurie. And then uh, offensively, again, with, with the college RPO type stuff, that's not what Jeffrey Lurie likes. So maybe it comes down to we just convinced him that he, he was a leader. And I hope that's the case um, because that would make more sense when he went this direction with the hire. John, your story about, uh, and I'd never heard that before. Thanks for sharing that with me and with all of Birds 365 Nation here, that it was an organizational meeting and it was more than just Howie and Doug and Jeffrey in the room when he asked them about uh, throwing more against the Packers after an upset victory in Lambeau. That bothers me more. If I'm Doug Peterson, it would tick me off more. Wait a minute. We just won a game and you're going to ask me in front of the president? Why I didn't pass the ball more? You don't want to take me aside and go, hey, could we have thrown the ball more? No, in a formal meeting with other people, you're going to call me out after we got an upset win in Green Bay? For me, that makes it even worse if that was the case. Well, I do think uh, ultimately Doug was upset by it. I don't know if that's why, but that could maybe that could be an explanation uh, of it. But I certainly do know he was upset about getting asked about a win <laughs> about how he went about, you know, style points essentially when the NFL is supposed to be about winning by hook or by crook. That's what everyone says. Um, so style points shouldn't apply, should never apply. Um, and he was, yeah, he was upset uh, for, for, it's tough to get past the obvious reasons for why you're upset. I mean, any head coach, I think, would not take it well uh, if you win an NFL game because they're very hard to win. And somebody comes in and says, oh, but you should have won it by this, essentially. Uh, and meanwhile, the other side, you have to the other side is it, it, it's sort of like the biggest question I had for Nick Sirianni in all this and after the game especially was. When he said, well, we knew we wanted to keep pace with Dallas. We knew they were going to be able to score points. And I said this yesterday on the show, Jody. No, you don't, you know, you don't match punches with, with Mike Tyson in his prime. You try to outbox him. You don't, you don't, you don't go at, I hope he learned this week. Let's try to outscore Patrick Mahomes. Let's, Try to be a faster pace offense. 
you got to go about it a different way. That was the most concerning part of the whole thing to me. John, this is one thing I wanted to bring up, too. Um, you know, everybody says, well, the Chiefs could be 0-3. I look at it as they could be 3-0. and I've watched every Chiefs game. I basically watch them like like I do the Eagles. I rewatch them once or twice. And turnovers just kill this football team. They have six turnovers in their last 13 possessions. they probably beat L.A. if they don't turn the football over. Mahomes um, got a little too fancy on a couple plays. And, you know, just inexcusable fumbles by Tyreek Hill and Clyde Edwards-Lair were a part of that. And, you know, to me, it just seems like that's how you beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I know there are different ways to do it, but basically having Andy Reid team beat themselves. Did Nick Sirianni address that at all or Jonathan Gannon yesterday? Um, I, 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 I think – Nick Sirianni will learn um, from what happened in Dallas. I, I certainly hope so. I, I don't, you know, I know Andy Reid isn't going to, wouldn't take your, could be 3-0. and I mean, they don't care. That's NFL games. You could take, um, especially close games, you could take a play or two in each game and say, we could have won this one. Yeah, but you didn't. And especially a team with that kind of success, they're never going to use that as an excuse. On paper, it doesn't look good because they're upset. They know they've beaten themselves. Um, and they're good. And they're really good. And at some point, that's going to show up. And right now, the Eagles aren't really good. So, I mean, if you want some optimism, I guess you have to say, well, hopefully Kansas City doesn't figure it out for a couple more weeks. Because if they figure it out this week, and they've had a lot of adversity, obviously Andy going in the hospital, number one, um, but he's back. Maybe that's a little bit of a distraction. Um, maybe they do turn it over, but the Eagles haven't forced uh, a ton of turnovers, to say the least. Um, it just looks like a tough matchup on paper, a really tough matchup. Yeah, I wanted to further that turnover conversation. Because I want to give credit to Stargrave because he's played as well as he has. The one turnover they have gotten in three games, they didn't really force in a way. Hargrave pushed a Cowboy player into Dak Prescott and he gave up the football. They didn't even get their hands on it until Fletcher Cox just happened to look up and say, oh, look what I've got. And he grabs it out of midair and then goes swimming on the ground. Uh, so the whole hits uh, feeling of doing things, philosophy of doing things, hasn't really turned into a lot of turnovers so far yeah the chiefs were just a mess last week turning it over four times is that something you are heavily emphasizing if you're jonathan gannon this week we've got to do exactly what the Chargers did if we don't get three turnovers we're not going to beat the kansas city chiefs is that something to think the coach will rely on well i think he always stresses it he does always stress it but you can't game plan for turnovers i mean the same thing what i said about the chiefs you know uh, okay but you know J javon hargrave made dak prescott uncomfortable enough to do what he did so that to me is certainly a generated turnover um and it was funny because we asked darius slay no interceptions he said we get fletch got one <laughs> And <laughs> we said, that was a fumble, buddy. We had to tell him it was a fumble. It was ruled a fumble. Uh, so Slay is funny with the rules. It's so over-legislated, he can't figure them out. But uh, it, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, the turnovers haven't come. They keep saying they come in bunches and all the cliches, and they do. I mean, they do. That's how this league works. But I, it also works that, you know, playmakers. Trevon Diggs makes plays. He makes plays. Finds a way to make. There's a young player. Now he also takes some chances. I mean, that's part of it as well. Um, guys who turn the football over, especially in the secondary, are guys who are confident to take chances and and talented i don't i don't see a lot of those guys on the eagles out uh, outside of darius slay um and then you couple it with they just play a ton of zone so you don't give <clears throat> you don't give players who are willing to take chances like if you had a trayvon Diggs, they're not going to have as 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 many opportunities to take chances. So then you're left with quarterbacks making poor throws, overthrowing people, things like that, where you're playing center field. And that's what Anthony Harris did so well in his previous life. Um, so I, I, I mean, I don't think they have a ton of playmakers in the back seven. I've been talking about it for a long time. So I, you know, the front four's got to make the plays. John, um, a concerning comments that you brought up Darius Slay, and I, I know where he was getting that at, but, I, I, you know, I can't wait to ask a couple Chiefs players this um, about Patrick Mahomes. And Darius Slay was asked if, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the best, most talented quarterback he's ever faced. And he said, well, no, you know, basically he said, I face Aaron Rodgers twice a year, and he's never faced Patrick Mahomes. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this comment, it, even though it's not that big of a deal, it really could buy him just because Mahomes and the Chiefs offense could make a point this Sunday. Well, one, I agree with Darius. I mean, Rodgers is, uh, and Jody knows, I feel this way. Rodgers is the best quarterback in football when he's still, when he's clicking on all cylinders. And you saw him 37 seconds. Uh uh, that's all he needed. Uh, that's not his slight. He was very uh, complimentary overall to Patrick Mahomes. Everybody knows Patrick Mahomes is is a great quarterback, um, is very difficult to stop. Darius Slay knows that. Jonathan Gannon knows that. Everybody knows that on the Eagles. But, yeah, I, I don't know where we've gotten in sports where you make, where you make these comps and you say, Oh, I think Aaron Rodgers is better than you. And that's not a sense. I mean, but that was what Slay was getting at. Like, that's not an insult to anybody no. in the history of the world. It, it, this was like the DK Metcalf thing with Jim Schwartz, who said, DK isn't as good as Calvin Johnson. Oh, that's a slight to DK Metcalf? You know, that's a slight to his knowledge of history because if he thinks he's Calvin Johnson, he is he he has no flipping idea. And that's you know, if players are gonna take those things, and that's what Jim said at the time, there's nothing you can I mean, you're not insulting the guy. And Slay wasn't insulting Patrick Mahomes. If he wants to use it though, and that's the way some of the Chiefs go with it, that that's fine, but you can't compare some. If you're in the same sentence with Aaron Rodgers, you were just complimented. Right. I wholeheartedly agree with your uh, stance on that, John. Um, someone who's not going to be compared, uh, certainly because they're not quarterback, but on the level of their talent, 
with Aaron Rodgers at all. Eagles offensive line fill-ins as of right now. They've got to come up with a bunch of them, uh, both guard positions, and still to be determined left tackle. Uh, the coach didn't want to tip his hand yesterday and said we will actually keep that to ourselves uh, for the purposes of keeping the other team uh, uneducated as to what we're going to do. Whether they would move guys around from the two guard positions, maybe put Herbeck back on the right and bring Dickerson over to the left. Whether Mylotta would be back in time for this week's game, don't know that that's going to be the case. Either way, Jeff Stoutland's got his hands uh, his hands full and uh, he's got to come up with some answers for this team th- th- this week. Uh, yeah, they all got the chance to get their uh, hands dirty last week. And your boy Dillard actually played pretty well. I give him credit for a better game than I thought he was going to have. How much of a disadvantage are they at this week? Is Kansas City's defense going to make them pay a price? Dallas' defense wasn't considered to be all that good, but they played pretty damn well the other night against the Eagles. How does this match up the Eagles just put together on the fly offensive line against the KC defense look for you? Yeah, it was funny when Nick said that because I was the one who asked him that question. He was like, we think we have a competitive advantage this week. So I'm thinking to myself, well, two things. I don't I don't think the Chiefs care whether Suo Petta or Nate Herbig or Landon Dickerson are moving places. And the second thing is, I, are they not practicing? Did they scale back to a walkthrough so we couldn't see who's the starting offensive line? And does that mean they're not going to practice today so we can't see the starting offensive line? I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I'm, I'm – yeah, Jordan's not going to play. I mean, sprained knee, usually the best case scenario is two weeks. So he didn't practice yesterday. It's just an estimation because it was a walkthrough. So it's probably going to be Dillard at left tackle. Then you start talking about guards. And you want Landon to get the reps, obviously. So I asked the question for the reason that Isaac's out for the year now. Brandon Brooks is, is going to be back at some point. So do you just want to make the move now? Uh, and keep him at left guard for the rest of the year. Uh, and Nick didn't want to go down that road uh, for competitive advantage, whatever. And and I'm I'm, you know, Kansas City's not going to be worried about any of the possibilities. Uh, they're just going to show up and play. I am more interested because Dillard did play well, but I said leading up to the week that was a perfect situation for him, Jody. You probably remember this. You know, they don't, Dallas doesn't have Demarcus Lawrence out there. They don't have any pass rushers. Uh, they were down, I think, six defensive line, and all they had was Randy Gregory mm-hmm. coming off the COVID list. Uh, so it was a perfect situation. He took advantage of it and he played a solid game. Uh, this week, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, and I, I am interested. That's one of the things, if he does play, and I think he will play, as I said. Uh, how Andre Dillard um, holds up because if he continues to play at at least an acceptable level, you know, that'll make it easier for the Eagles to make a move at the trade deadline because they've made their decision to let tackle. Um, and, and, and the better Andre plays, the better it is for the Eagles to get something on the back end. Um, John, obviously, you know, Eagles fans are probably fearing the deep bomb from Patrick Mahomes. That's Irie kill. But the one I'm, worried about more is how is this team going to 
cover Travis Kelsey when Dalton Schultz just kind of went off on him last <laughs> week. Kelsey said six catches for 75 yards in each of his three games. Like, how do you counteract? I mean, he's going to get his, but how do you try to slow him down? Well, one, you have to stop the run, and I know that doesn't make sense. But once you know the, the once the Cowboys started rolling, and the linebackers are taking that step forward in those zones, trying to trying to plug, you know, that seven yards coming basically every play, six, seven, eight yards. Uh, then all of a sudden they went over the top, and you could see on the one touchdown, Alex Singleton wasn't deep enough. Why wasn't he deep enough? Because he's trying to trying to plug the 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 holes in the running game. Um, so I think that would help if they could stop the run. They could at least you know, bracket him a little bit better. Uh, but this this guy's the best receiving tight end in football. Uh, he's going to make plays against the best defensive plans. Um, he's a great route runner, understands how to get open. Sort of like Zach Ertz from the route running perspective, but with more athleticism, more playmaking ability. Um, it's a tough matchup. It's a tough matchup for everybody. So, you know, I, I imagine every team that plays Kansas City gets the Kelsey question and how you going to deal with it. It's like any superstar player. You, you know, if you give up to go the NBA route, if, you know, guy scores 40 and you give up 30, it's probably a good day. Agreed. Uh, Kelsey's going to get his this uh, Sunday. All right, John, last thing and uh, appreciate it. And we'll let you get off in testing after this, we haven't uh, brought up Jalen Hurts yet. 33 minutes since the show started. Uh, and that's I think that's a, a good thing, as a matter of fact, because certainly he can be a guy who would be questioned. And another good thing was, at least in my media followings, you got yours, uh, listening to the radio, reading all you guys who cover the team. Nobody's brought up Deshaun Watson yet this week. And when Mark that came Sims in, brought him up. Jake who did? brought him up. Chris Sims, your buddy, brought him up. Okay. All right. Uh, Jay, Jay Glazer, Jay Glazer brought him up. Uh, yeah, it never ends. Uh, Chris Sims and I don't, you know, this has been out there for a long time. I mean, uh, the Eagles have tremendous interest in Deshaun Watson. Jeffrey Lurie gave Howie Roseman the green light to make a trade. If he can make a trade, that's been out there for a while. Nothing's changed from the Watson perspective of doesn't want to play here, um, has a, a, a trade, um, no trade clause. Now, from the Eagles perspective, if if nobody else wants him, you know, and ultimately Philadelphia is the only option, I think he would change his mind uh, to get out of Houston. But I don't see that happening. And that's the Jake Glazer part who said Houston is starting to lower its demands and Miami is still by far the leader in the clubhouse. So people are mentioning him. Um, as long as Miami's an option, as long as Miami is interested, I, I don't think the Eagles are in the conversation because he doesn't want to play here. And he does not because they, they, not because they trust their quarterback. Because he doesn't want to play here. Right. The Eagles and, want Deshaun Watson. I've said that a hundred times. I'll say it to the <laughs> my dying breath. They want Deshaun Watson. Um, 
to show I don't, I don't think there's a path to get him. And there's a bunch of moving parts in there. And the fact that he has a no-trade clause is a major impediment if the Eagles do want to get their hands on Deshaun Watson. J-Mac, uh, good job, brother. Thank you very much. Uh, I will see you back here tomorrow morning when we talk about the Chiefs winning by three touchdowns. Now, I might be tipping <laughs> my hand here a little bit, but uh, we'll get your take tomorrow. Thanks for jumping on today. All right. Thank you, guys. J-Mac, John McMullen uh, here on Birds. 365. All right. Uh, Jody McDonald, Jeff Kerr got plenty to still sink our teeth into. Hour number two, I'm um, going to have a buddy up, Matt Verderam uh, from Fan Sided, uh, covers the entire league, does a league wide podcast. It's very good as well. But he's a Kansas City guy. He grew up uh, in Kansas City and has been a Chief fan his whole life, always uh, has a good perspective on the Chiefs. So we're going to get Matt Verderam and Fan Sided up in hour number two. We come back. More with Jeff Curran, Jody McDonald here on Birds 365 next. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. 
Now the oh, we're not the Mac and Mac guys. It's one Mac, it's one Kerr. Jody McDonald and Jeff Kerr doing the Birds 365 thing here for you on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Kind of licking our wounds after Monday night's beatdown at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys with uh, Jeff Kerr. I do want to bring a couple things up with you here, JK. Um, let me go here first. We'll get back to uh, Deshaun Watson and uh, Jalen uh, Hurts in just a second. I, I was just going through on uh, EaglesWire.com the pro football focus grades for the Eagles for the game the other night against the Dallas Cowboys. And they break them down by offense and defense, uh, put them in the order that they graded out. And the seventh best defensive player for the Philadelphia Eagles, according to pro football focus in Monday's night's game was Jason Hargrave. He was seventh on his team. Fletcher Cox graded out higher than he did. Kavon Wallace did. Marcus Epps really did. T.J. Edwards. Now, I'll give Edwards credit. He kind of got forced into action. The linebackers weren't playing well. They got him out there onto the field. He did make a couple plays. So I kind of agree with that one. Josh Sweat that was the only, only, let me emphasize this, only, like Nick Sirianni raised his voice yesterday. I'll do the same. The only defensive end who did anything for the Eagles. And Avante Maddox did play well, but I don't know that anybody played better than Jason Hargrave. I don't know that anybody's played better on the defense all three games so far this year than Hargrave. That's why I, I got to admit, I still don't completely understand how pro football focus comes up with their grades. Because just my eye, my knowledge of football, the way I look at a football game, he, he's the Eagles' best defensive player. He has been three games in a row. I don't know how he grades out seventh on Monday night's affair. Yeah, pro football focus to me, I always use it as a tool, but I don't treat it as gospel. I know there are some people on Twitter just because they pay a certain amount of money for pro football focus and they treat it like it's gospel. And I'm right. like, hold on a second, hold on a second. You know, I know you're going for the retweets. I know you're going for the likes. I get it. I get it. But let's put this into perspective here. There's no way Javon Hargrave should have been the seventh highest graded player on the Eagles defense. I'm sorry. You know, I don't even want to go to a watch the tape thing. You don't have to watch the tape. You and I both saw Joe. And look, I use pro football focus. I use it to study the pressure, study the hurries when I'm watching the game. So it's a resourceful tool. I do like pro football focus. But, yeah, I don't get the grading part of it either. Like, you know, when a player plays bad and they grade bad, okay, it makes a lot of sense. But. I would like for them to explain why Javon Hargrave got the grade he got. And I'm looking at it as, okay, two sacks. Well, they gave him one, which I don't know how that changes. But four quarterback hits, you know, again, like, isn't that part of it? I guess because the Eagles couldn't stop a lick when it came to running the football. But that ain't Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox's fault. I mean, Dallas basically double teamed both of them and said, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, you got to get to us when we go up the middle. I mean, when you double-team a guy, there's nothing you can do here. So, I don't know. I think it's being a little too harsh on Javon Hargrave. And I know a lot of people were making a big deal about this on Pro Football Focus, too. Um, even after this week, oh, Jalen Hurts is one of the top 10 great quarterbacks in football by Pro Football Focus. I'm like, do you really? I mean, look, I like Jalen Hurts a lot. Do you really think he's been a top 10 quarterback this year? I don't. And – now, you know, this one, this one I can explain. And 
again, Monday's grade wasn't as bad as one would think it would be. I think he was Eagles' fifth-ranked player on offense uh, from Monday night. I'm double-checking sixth. Excuse me. No, fifth. Um, this one I can't explain. I, I comprehend it. I don't agree with it, but I comprehend it. The way to po- pro- 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 focus grades, every play is equal. On any given play, they don't try and factor in down, distance, score on the scoreboard. And Jalen Hurts made some plays in the fourth quarter of that game when basically it was already decided. The game was over and done with. We were just figuring out how many points the Dallas Cowboys were going to win by. And that's the same. It's, it, it's looked at and graded the same exact way as the first possession of the game when it's 0-0. When uh, the game hasn't been decided yet, well, a comprehensive football mind is going to realize that those accomplishments are not the same thing. The start of a game, when it is hanging in the balance, a game, and hopefully we don't have too many of these games, only if uh, the Eagles are well ahead, like, say, the Falcon game, which, oh, by the way, a couple of Eagles did that, too. Their only sacks uh, prior to this past week uh, all season were in the last couple of minutes of that Falcon game when everybody in the world knew the Falcons were going to be throwing the football because they were as far behind as they did. And Eagles teed off and got to Matt Ryan a couple of times. So, so there's a context to all of this. Pro Football Focus doesn't attempt to use context. Every play is the same play, according to Pro Football Focus. That's why some of the times when they come out with grades, I go, really? Did, did you guys actually yeah. watch the game? Yeah, and you know what? It's clear they watched the game. I mean, I but you're right. If that's how they're doing it, then a play when you're down 41-21 in the fourth quarter means the same as 0-0, and it, that just shouldn't be right. And, you know, it's, I think anybody who's played, coached, watched can tell you, you know, there isn't such thing as garbage time. Like, I, I always use this as an example. And I've told Tiki Barber this because he is a co-worker of mine. And I said, Tiki. You remember the game against the Eagles in 2004 when T.O. had the three-touchdown game? He goes, yeah, I earned 25 yards that game. I'm like, yeah, okay, Tiki. I, I hope you you do know you had an 85-yard touchdown run when the Eagles were up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Well, you know, stats are stats. I said, yeah, but, again, you were stopped that entire game. You weren't really a factor. You were a factor when Sam Rayburn was in the game. So, you know, it, it's one of those, well, you know, it, yeah, I had a Harvard-yard game. I'm like, yeah, you did, but, you know, it's – and I get it. I mean, a really good year in 2004, but that's one of those where I like to put things in perspective a bit. And, you know, I, I think that's how pro football focus should do it. But, again, I get it. You know, it used to be their grades wouldn't be up till about noon, 3 o'clock the next day. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I'm curious to see what they – Rated. Now they're up like almost not immediately after the game, but you know, they were up Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, they're they're trying to get them out. I get it for contacts and for clicks and you know, for you know, people who have a subscription like me to go look at them. And I look at them for every game when I'm watching, you know, the, the highlights or whatever, or, you know, or I'm fast forwarding to a certain part on TV. I'm like, okay, where are they seeing? So yeah, it's context is definitely important. I, I will say that. Uh, but, you know, I, there's just some of them where it's like they make a lot of sense and some of them where you shake your head. Javon Hargrave, yes. Uh, Landon Dickerson, you know he played bad. And, like, it's okay. How bad are they going to agree? I think it was in the 20s Landon Dickerson was. Last week it was a four, which is really, really bad. And maybe that's why the Eagles are considering switching Landon Dickerson to the left guard. Maybe he's just more comfortable there. And, again, maybe uh, again, I, I'm not writing off Landon Dickerson by any means. But, you know. 
when I do my stock up, stock down report, oh man, his stock is pretty much at an all time low. Right. And a lot of it has to do with it. He has, just hasn't gotten up to speed yet. Uh, Eagle fans shouldn't panic. I don't believe the Eagles are panicking, going, oh, what we do? We got, got a waste of the Sacramento pick. No, they still have a lot of confidence in the kid, but they're growing pains and they're growing through them right now. I uh, want to get back to the quarterback conversation because we've got Jenny Mack's take on it. I need yours now. Um, yeah, we know that Deshaun Watson is still eligible to be traded. We have the time up until the trade deadline when he can be traded. But then after that, he is locked into the Texans until the offseason. The speculation this week nationally, and when I said that with John, when I said nobody's brought up Deshaun Watson, yeah, I was talking about the local media. I was talking about Eagle fans on WIP or wherever else you you believe that you get on our uh, stream here on Birds 365. I don't think either Monday or Tuesday one person streamed. Hey, uh, any chance we can get our hands on Deshaun Watson? He had been kind of pushed to the back burner. If uh, Chris Sims brought him up, more power to him. If my buddy Jay Glazer brought him up, more power to him too. Uh, one of the things that was brought up was maybe the Texans are starting to scale back their ask price for Deshaun Watson. Why do I have trouble believing that? If they had this high ask price on Deshaun Watson, they're now going to accept less because there are less games left in this season for a team that wants to acquire him? Really? That the Texan would say, well, we can't get as much because we're not giving them as much. I don't buy that. If anything, I would think the teams that would be willing to jump in and trade for Deshaun Watson are a little bit more desperate because they've gotten off to a slow start because they realize the quarterback they have is not good enough. I would be upping my asking price rather than rolling back my asking price. That seems to strike me as to not make football sense, NFL 2021 sense. Do you think that that reporting is accurate? That the And, and again, in the Eagles case, it all comes down to would Deshaun Watson say, okay, I'll go to Philadelphia, which we don't know that he would, which kind of makes this a, a very hypothetical question I'm asking Jeff Kerr. Um, does that make sense to you that the Texans would actually be uh, something triggered in them where they said, all right, maybe our asking price is too great. We need to scale it back a little bit. Yeah, Jody, I, I thought the same way you did. I'm like, to me, it doesn't even look like Deshaun Watson's like a problem right now. It's He's kind of all to the side. He practices, practices, I should say. You know, it's he's individually throwing the football with someone. It's not even like someone on the coaching staff. I think it's someone that like – an equipment manager or something. I think that's what he's doing. I mean, David Coley gets asked about him every week and you know, it's, well, he's going to be an actor this week. Okay. And then they drop it. Like that. That's the only time he gets asked about. So again, I don't get why you would lower your price because this is the situation I'm looking at. The Miami Dolphins still don't know what they have in Tua Tagovailoa. The only thing they know is he gets hurt a lot. And I, I think it was Joe Shad and Armando uh, Salguero who pointed out, they're like, look, if there's anything the Miami Dolphins know, this guy gets hurt. And that could be incentive to trade for Deshaun Watson. Here's the other conundrum people don't understand. Look at the 2022 quarterback class. Everybody hyped up Spencer Rattler. Not playing well. Sam Howell, not playing well. Malik Wills, Liberty. Okay, I think he's a really good prospect. 
the Dolphins really have – are they really going to be able to get a Malik Wills knowing that there are quarterback needy teams in this league? No. So he's out. Carson Strong, another one. I, I like him. I watched two Nevada games this year. I like him. I don't know if he's a top 10 pick yet. I just don't. It may be a, a draft where it's defensive line, offensive line, heavy. And, you know, there's a couple solid receivers in there. And, you know, again, things are still playing out. But the quarterback place is not looking good. Why would you lower your offer right now when you have a proven commodity? And there is going to be a team in this league, and maybe Miami, um, you know, could be Philadelphia, but Deshaun doesn't want to go there. We don't care about the problems Deshaun Watson faces. We'll deal with them when we have to deal with them. We just got a top five quarterback in the National Football League. Right. Um, the quarterback that actually looked better than any in college football this week. A key game, Eagle fans. I said this on the show, shoot, back on Tuesday. Um, you do want to watch Alabama against Mississippi on Saturday. I think it's a 3.30 start. CBS, probably. Yeah, CBS game. Um Matt Corral has played as well as any quarterback in college football shoot. I, I would make him the leader in the clubhouse for the Heisman Trophy so far. And if he ever beats Alabama this week, oh, yes, he oh, will be the leader <laughs> in the Heisman Trophy uh, running. I can guarantee you that. Uh, the kid's got a uh, wicked arm, and he may be the first quarterback chosen in the upcoming draft. Uh, that's of eagle note and or Texan note if they're going to be, they think, up there for the number one pick, and they've got to get themselves a quarterback. Although uh, the game was on because it was a uh, national game. What do you think of Davis Mills, uh, the Houston quarterback? Because that, that's a part of this whole conversation, uh, how much they're going to get in return for Deshaun Watson. If they think they need a quarterback, do they have a higher grade on Tua Tungabaloa right now than the Dolphins do? Maybe. Do they even think they need a quarterback or do they think they need everything else other than the quarterback because they have their quarterback? I know it's a very small sample size. Did you like what you saw out of David Mills? I'll say this. I think the Houston Texans did a much better job at preparing Davis Mills to start on three days than – Urban Meyer has with Trevor Lawrence or Robert Saller, uh, Mike LaFleur has with Zach Wilson. And again, uh, look, I got to put it into perspective here. I don't think Zach Wilson's plays bad as people lay him out to be. It's just the Jets are the Jets. It, it, it's the way it is. But the Texans are bad too. And Davis Mills did not look absolutely horrible. I was like, okay, there might be something here. Again, you got to see more. We'll see how he does on 10 days rest. But they seem to have a plan for this guy. And look, they weren't going to be Carolina, but he did not. He was not the reason why they lost that game. He was efficient. He ran the game plan the way he wanted to run the game plan. He was basically a game manager, and that's fine. Sometimes I think you got to do that with your rookie quarterbacks. And Urban Meyer definitely isn't doing that with Trevor Lawrence. And look, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine in the NFL. It's, but. You know, everybody talks about seven picks, seven picks. And I'm like, well, okay, he's a, he's a young quarterback. They're slinging the football around. They're down a lot. They are getting better every week. I will say that about Jacksonville. They're still a bad football team, but they're getting better. But Davis Mills, it's compared to all the other rookie quarterbacks this week, you know, if you had to rank them, he's probably one or two. Just yeah. one, not turning the football over. That's why I asked the question, because uh, in comparison to all those other rookie quarterbacks, he did, I didn't check the pro football focus grades, which, again, sometimes I question. But I know what I saw, and I actually uh, came away a little impressed. 
with the young man. All right, uh, he's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jody McDonald. We'll come back. We'll make the conversation more about the Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts, when we come back, not who's coming in to replace him, unless, of course, we start to look at the Eagle bench, which I know there are some people out there that think that is uh, only weeks away from happening. We'll continue to talk Eagles right here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. Glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. We are your Birds 365 guys. Jacob Media YouTube channel. We still got an hour to continue to talk about the birds with you here on a Thursday, leading into a matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. Ouch. Andy Reid coming back to town. Someone on the stream did note that uh, could very well be Andy's last trip into the vet as the coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. What would that entail? 
Um, the Kansas City Chiefs come in basically every six years that you play a team in the other division, other conference, um, once every three years. And, or is it once every four? No, it's once every four years. So it'd be eight years down the road before Andy Reid would come back. Damn, is Andy going to be coaching eight more years? If he is, and I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be completely shocked. Andy's had a lot to deal with. His driver's license says what it says. Uh, I think Andy is kind of a football lifer. I think we've learned that about him despite all the issues that uh, he, like all of us, have uh, away from our jobs. Uh, Andy has always dealt with them, and he's always shouldered on and continued to coach for the last couple of decades. I think the same would be said going forward as well. But there's a possibility that Andy Reid is not coaching eight years from now when the Kansas City Chiefs would be scheduled to be back here in Philadelphia. Does that mean anything? Uh, Andy Reid coming back here to Philadelphia, he spent a lot of time here. Uh, yes, he didn't get a Super Bowl, but his protege, Doug Peterson, did here for Philadelphia. What does Andy Reid returning to Philadelphia for perhaps the last time mean to you, Jeff Kerr? I, I think this is definitely worth something bringing up. Um, you know, I, I thought about this earlier this week, too. And um, I couldn't get a question in on the Chiefs media session yesterday. Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Obviously, there were Philly reporters in yesterday, so, you know, it was a little tough, but... Overall, um, they weren't in for Patrick Mahomes, though. And Mahomes basically said, you know, they were talking about Reed's health and everything that happened this week. And, you know, he said, you know, he was a little worried at first, but, you know, they, you know, it was taken care of. And he basically said, you know, I know this, and he loves coaching us and he loves coaching this football team. And, you know, he, he don't see him anywhere else. And Chiefs players I've talked to during the Super Bowl – both Super Bowls, um, you know, this year even, they don't think Andy's going anywhere for a while because of the situation he's in. And I really can't blame him. Really, if Andy Reid would go anywhere, I think Eric Bianami would get the job. But, again, I just don't see that happening anytime soon because this is like – football is Andy Reid's getaway. And I always felt this like – now, look, 2029 is a long way away. I think Andy would be 71. It's – not out of the realm of possibility. I, I mean, obviously now with the 17th game, there could be a way the Eagles and Chiefs fall in the same place in the standings. It's so hard to explain how the 17th game works because it goes from a rotation from 2019 and, you know, next year it'd be 2020 and the following year it'd be 2021. So there, there's an opportunity for him to coach a Philadelphia in 2023 or 2027 again, but, you know, basically on where the Eagles and Chiefs are, I just don't see that happening. But overall, I mean, it could be. And I see this as someone who grew up idolizing Andy Reid as a fan of the Eagles. I don't think they do enough for this head coach. And I know Jeffrey Murray respects him. And I know Andy Reid holds Philadelphia in very high regards and how well they've treated him. But I think Andy Reid should be mentioned a heck of a lot more than he is. I know he's still coaching. I know he's with another team. But there are a lot of people who would not be Eagles fans if it wasn't for Andy Reid and what he did for this city. And I get sick and tired of people telling me on Twitter all the time, he didn't win a Super Bowl or he choked in big games. I'm like, you know what my dad always used to tell me when I would lose a big game? Well, you have to be good enough to get to the big game before you lose the big game. And I always took that to heart. It's, you know – it makes a lot of sense. It, it does. Like, I'm sorry. 
13 to 17 year old Jeff Kerr absolutely loved the Eagles making deep playoff runs in the January every single year. He beat the Cowboys every single year. He would beat the Giants every single year. I enjoyed the heck out of Andy Reid and everything he'd done. And I can go back and forth on why the Eagles lost championship games. You can blame Andy Reid. You can blame Donovan McNabb. You can blame the defense. That's completely fine. However you want to slice it. But I will say this about Andy Reid. In my lifetime, there hasn't been a coach anywhere close to him. And I know Doug Pearson won a Super Bowl, but he could not sustain the level of success Andy Reid did. It is a shame Andy Reid could not win a championship here. Agreed. Um, because some people rate just short-term success over long-term success. Short-term, top-of-the-mountain success over long-term, pretty high-up-the-mountain success. And that's the dichotomy between Peterson and Andy Reid. Um, I have not spoken to Andrew. I haven't had him on as a guest since he left Philadelphia. I did have him on when he was the Eagles head coach, but I've heard him do a bunch of interviews, some here in Philadelphia, some nationally, when the Eagles and Jeff Laurie have come up. And he always says, quote unquote, the right thing, that he loved his time here. And he appreciates Jeff Laurie and the chance that he gave him and uh, the kind of guy that he is and a charitable individual and all those things. Because it, it's the right thing to say. And Andy Reid is pretty smart. I always thought he handled himself well, except for uh, it's on me. I got to coach him up. I got to do better. He took all the bullets for everybody, which we'd all rolled our eyes on because we didn't really believe that. We don't believe Andy believed that. But that's what he said. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Andy will do, quote unquote, the right thing. He always has. And he continues to do so. What do you think his feelings are about Jeffrey Laurie? I think for the most part, they're good, but he did kind of give Doug Peterson the bum rush out of town. And that's one of Andy's guys. Do you think his uh, sentiments about the Eagles specifically management, specifically Jeff Laurie has changed of late? Yeah. And this comes back to my point. I just don't think the Eagles respect Andy Reid enough. And I really do hope, if he does beat them Sunday. And I know Chiefs fans are a little, I don't know why they're worried about the Philadelphia Eagles right now, but they are. I hope the if Andy Reid wins this game Sunday, becoming the first head coach ever to win 100 games with two different franchises, the Eagles acknowledge him. And I have said this on Twitter before. I've said it on a bunch of platforms and on radio spots. I hope the Eagles acknowledge it because of all he did for the franchise. Because if they don't, that kind of tells me a little bit of where they are as an ownership group. And I think there may be a little bit of it because look, they did not give Doug a chance to fix this mess. They didn't. They just basically said, okay, you had a losing season. You're out. We're going for guy. And that's fine. I don't know what how Andy Reid's relationship is with Howie Roseman. I know Roseman's been there pretty much almost the entire time Reid's been there, although not in the position of power he is now. He was toward the end of it. And, you know, Joe Banner, Andy Reid, and Jeffrey Lurie, they – I mean, that was as lethal a combination as you could find outside the New England Patriots for a lot of years. And I don't know how Andy Reid felt with the Joe Banner episode. It just seemed like once Banner was gone, Reid was gone soon after. It's – I think Andy Reid really likes to build close relationships. He has a really close one with Chiefs GM Brett Veach, who, by the way, was in the Eagles. He, he was with the Eagles. And so was Jason Litt. They were all were there, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers GM. They all were there when the Eagles were at the height of their powers under Andy Reid. So I look at that. They're really close. Um, he's close to Mr. Hunt, obviously Chiefs owner, CEO, you know, close to him. 
it's one of those where I feel like there might be a little resentment, but he's never going to say it because I don't, I still don't like the way he was fired and it was time to go. But I still look at it as that game, that game against the Giants and they lost 42 seven. I'm like, that team quit. That team flat out quit. That's why I got so mad when Deshaun Jackson put battle Chip Kelly and Deshaun. I'm like, whoa, you asked for this. Don't lose 42 to seven. In a year, you finished four and twelve. Because you know, I, I actually thought Andy had a chance of staying until that game. And you know, I was—that's where I always would defend Chip. I'm like, okay, you want to get on this guy? That's fine. I don't think he's a great coach either. But you can't sit here and complain about the guy when the guy you loved is gone because you guys didn't want to show up for a meaningless Week 17 game against your division rival. That let me hop in there. Do you really believe that the the blowout nature of that game? Was the reason that Jeff Lurie pulled the plug? I think Before I, that I, game was ever played, I believe Danny Reed was going into the last game he was ever going to coach as a Philadelphia Eagle. So I don't know that the players quitting in that game really changed the, the, the decision that the Eagles were sitting on. I think it was gone well before that. Now, if you want to say they underachieved, they quit the whole year, okay, we could debate that a little bit, but I don't really believe that last game cost Andy Reid his tenure as an Eagles coach. I, I think it was the final nail in the coffin. I'll say that. Like, like yeah, I, I'm with you. So I, I'll say this. I didn't think he was coming back. But I'm just, you know, any inkling you might have had on bringing him back, and maybe Andy was out the door at this point too. Because Kansas City basically hired him like 18 hours after he yeah, got fired. He, he, I don't think he was crestfallen because he was no longer going to be the coach of the Eagles. Put it that way. Yeah, let's say, yeah, I agree there. And it, it was, but, you know, if I'm a knee-jerk reaction guy and you're thinking about, you know what, they played hard these last couple of games with a rookie quarterback and Nick Foles and, you know, it's okay. We had a lot of injuries and this whole dream team experiment was a disaster and all that. And, you know, he, over the death of his son and everything else was going on. But you still had that creep. It's like, okay, yeah, we're bad, but. They were playing hard for him, at least some somewhat that's how it looked. And, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of progress, and then, boom, you lose to a terrible Giants team like that. It's like, okay, yeah, man, this isn't going to work anymore. I mean, that could have been it because he was basically fired right after the game. I mean, but it, the running was on the wall, but those guys did not help the situation. That's I'll, fair. I'll say that. If you want to call the players on the carpet, that's certainly within your rights. I think they did roll over in that final game, but I think that story was already written. All right, so Sunday, Andy Reid, honored at the link. How, when, where, video tribute, when does it have to be done at 12, 35, 40? You don't want to be doing it two minutes before the game because that's eagle time. You're supposed to be getting pumped up for the potential upset of taking down Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So you want to do the right thing. How you go about it and the timing of it is pretty important. How do you handle it, Jeff Kerr? Yeah, and you know Andy Reid's not going to make a big deal out of it because he already says he's not going to make a big deal out of it. You know, he'll, you know, he always says, I enjoy my time there. I expect yours. I mean, when do you do it exactly? Do you do it at like noon when no one's there, you know? I think the appropriate time, if I was the Eagles, uh, again, I, I'm not an Eagles PR, but I would wait. If he wins, if he wins, I would do it after the game. After? For the Hubbard win. Because it, 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 that's fair. That's more than fair game. Halftime's not going to make any sense. I mean, you can if you want, but 
if they beat that, I, I even think if they don't beat, I think you acknowledge Andy Reid. I, I just think you do. I, I that's when you do it. I, I don't think you do it like a twelve thirty. I'll say that. I think the only time you can do it is pregame. I don't think you can do it at halftime and after the game. If the Chiefs roll the Eagles forty to twenty, uh, kind of like what the Cowboys just did to the Eagles, and after the game, you're going to throw up a tribute to the coach and just kick your tails all over your home state, that's not going to go over well. And oh, by the way, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to be long gone from that stadium that didn't want to stick around to see Andy, even if they knew it was coming, an Andy Reid tribute. Eagles are down three touchdowns again. See you later, bye. I'm on Packer Avenue. I'm not sticking around for it. I think the only time you can do it is before the game starts. You can't do it in the middle of the game because the game could be hanging in the balance and Eagle fans are going to want to know about what's happening here in the second half. Can we actually pull this upset? Oh, no, I think you got to do it pregame. The question is, what time? How close to kickoff? Yeah, they could do it at 1130. The people that work in Lincoln Financial Field and Eagles pregame show on radio, TV, or whatever else could be there to see it, but you got to do it sometime between 12 and 1. The question is, what is the, the perfect time? And I'll go uh, so far as to ask you this. How long should a taped video tribute be? I think you'd want to intermesh Eagle stuff with Chief stuff. You got to acknowledge he won his Super Bowl with Kansas City. So you got to get a picture of him on the podium with the trophy afterwards. Yeah, we got one. If we had never had one. That might have been a tough thing to do, to edit in, oh, Andy Reid with his hands on a trophy. Well, Jeff Laurie had his hands on a trophy, courtesy of Doug Peterson. Uh, so so you can swallow that and do that. How long do you think you make that video tribute? I do probably maybe a minute, a minute and a half. I mean, because there were a lot of good times with Philadelphia, obviously. And, you know, you could point out to the five consecutive or four consecutive MC East titles, the five MC East overall the five conference championship games, the Super Bowl. I mean, you definitely can acknowledge the 2004 NFC Championship. I definitely would do that because the Eagles made a really, really big deal about that before they ended up winning the Super Bowl, which obviously that trumped everything else. But, you know, it's I would give him pretty much the dick for a meal treatment. I mean, I know the Eagles organization, they have a heck of a lot of respect for dick for a meal, and I think that's how you got to do it with Andy Reid. You do a minute, you do a minute and a half do some of the acknowledgement of the Chiefs. And I think in, in that, I agree with you, Joe. You showed Doug Peterson because that is an Andy Reid disciple. He won a Super Bowl. And, you know, look, I don't think the Eagles will ever assemble a coaching staff like they did, like the 99 team, who has head coaches around the end. Like, everybody goes, well, the team was 5-11. I'm like, look at the staff, though. Like, that staff is just absolutely loaded with talent across the board. I mean, a lot of them are head coaches now. And – yeah, it's one of those where it, it, I would do a minute, a minute and a half, honestly. I, I think that's good enough to acknowledge him. And, you know, again, this is not like you can boo him all you want. He guy's the top 10 head coach of all time. If he gets another Super Bowl, he may even be in the conversation top seven. But he's getting close to, I think he passed Curry, Curly Lambeau. I, for, or maybe he's right there. But if it wasn't for Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, I think Andy Reid would be on a much higher pedestal than he is. And some people are starting to put him there just because of the sustained success because people are saying what I've been saying for two decades. The Patriot way is the Tom Brady way. It's not the Bill Belichick way. 
Yeah, if we uh, and it'd be a good week to do it, but I think we need to stick with the Eagles and Chiefs <laughs> coming up, uh, seeing as Brady and Belichick are going mano a mano on Sunday night. Different place, different format. We could talk about that for uh, an hour and a half, as a matter of fact. And I think there are a lot of guys, Andy Reid just being one of them, that you could uh, write a sentence that says, if not for Bill Belichick and the Patriots, comma, dot, 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 dot. There's a whole bunch of guys uh, with the quarterback, if not for Tom Brady and the Patriots, dot, 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 dot. There's a whole bunch of guys whose evaluation as to where they stand in the NFL would be different, but the Patriots did what they did. Belichick did what he did. Brady has done what he's done. Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to them to, to uh, broach it that way. Um, one last thing about the coaching staff that you mentioned, Andy Reid's coaching staff from way back when. And I remember we had Jeff Laurie and Howie Roseman on WIP, myself and my old partner, Glenn Macnow. And uh, it was Jeffrey who said one of the things that really impressed them in their meeting with Andy when they decided to hire him was he came in with binders of every single individual coach he would hire if he were to get a job and have a staff and here's the reason why, and he broke it down and they were wowed by how prepared he was for putting together a coaching staff. And they allowed him to do that. And damn, if you didn't put it, you said one of the best coaching staff together. Now, 20 years after the fact, we can look back and go, damn, how good was that coaching staff? I mentioned this with John on the air here on uh, Birch 365 before. Do you think the Eagles were trying to recapture that magic with Nick Sirianni? Because Sirianni had more say over this year's coaching staff than Doug Peterson ever did his entire time, even after he won a Super Bowl. They kept the staff intact. Now, I don't know that Doug wanted to make massive changes and that he fought over that with Howie Roseman and Jeff Laurie. I doubt that's even the case. But we know the original staff that Doug put together, a lot of guys sticking around, uh organizational influence i think a little bit was doug's indifference that oh okay we'll just coach him up uh i don't think he was as motivated by it as i know he wasn't as motivated by it as andy reed was do you think sirianni helped to get the job here because the eagles were looking to reproduce andy reed again here in town i think they were i think they've always been trying to reproduce andy reed especially at their chip kelly days um since Andy Reid left. And look, you know, if you remember, you know, you talked about the binders thing in 99 and they, they, you know, they made a big deal about that. I think that's partially how Ray Rose got the job. You know, he was recommended by Mike Holmgren by, you know, because Mike Holmgren was with him for a year. I know there was always that proposed rift between them and there wasn't, it's just Ray wanted a better opportunity to become a head coach and went back to the 49ers and, you know, he came to five regards for Holmgren, and he was prepared for an interview, and he crushed the interview. And Andy Reid crushed the interview. And, you know, Ray Rhodes put together a pretty good coaching staff uh, when he was in Philadelphia. And Andy did the same. And I think, yeah, I, I actually think that that's true. Like, they said to Nick, hey, look, you are prepared. You can build your coaching staff. And, you know, I think he's had a couple good hires. I mean – I do like the Shane Steichen hire. I really do. I, I I really like the John McGannon hire. I agree with John McMullen. I think down the line, he's potentially going to be a head coach in this league. There's a, there's a lot of coaches on this coaching staff I see a lot of potential with. That's why I want to see the growth of this team this season. It looks really bad now. But is it going to be like Andy Reid in 1999? Because remember, that team was terrible too. Uh, they, they weren't good. And, you know, they had a couple – heartbreaking, soul-crushing losses early in the season. They got blown out a couple times. But then they would be the 
a better team like Dallas for no reason. They would beat them. Or, you know, they would take a team like the Giants who were better than them to overtime. And, you know, then they would beat a team like Washington who won the division that year. And, you know, they beat the Rams and the Patriots. They knocked the Patriots out of the playoffs at the end of 1999. Andy Reid is responsible for Bill Belichick being the Patriots head coach. You know, he beat them. He beat Pete Carroll, got him fired, and everything else snowballed. So, again, it's one of those where I think Nick Sariani, you need to see the improvement. You need to see – Nick Sariani just build this team going forward. And, you know, that's why I, I think the worst may have hit. But I want to see them improve this week and improve throughout the 17-game season. I, I'm going to judge Nick Sariani and his, him being a head coach by November and December of how much this team has improved. He is Jeff Kerr. I am Jody McDonald. We are the Birds 365 guys as we lead up to the showdown with the Chiefs and the return of Andy Reid here to Philadelphia. How will Andy be handled? More importantly, how will Andy Reid handle the Philadelphia Eagles? I think that should be the biggest concern as of right now. I uh, want to get a Kansas City perspective. Uh, we're hoping to punch up um, Matt Verderam from uh, Fansided. Uh, who writes uh, for them for the entire National Football League Outstanding NFL columnist, but uh, is a Kansas City guy, grew up in Kansas City. I asked him, I didn't even know where Matt was living, uh, so I texted me the other day. I said, you're a central time zone guy. You're a Kansas City guy. I said, Jody, I grew up in Kansas City. Living in Chicago now these days, but I grew up in Kansas City as a Chiefs fan because uh, he oftentimes does write about the Chiefs and on social media. He's always commenting on the Chiefs. So I thought he'd be a good guy to get on. On in the week that uh, Andy Reid returns here to Philadelphia. So we're hoping to hear from Matt Verderam of Fansided. He's scheduled to join us next here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub. And in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, this, this. And that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rim... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. 
when it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Jeff Kerr, uh, sitting by my side today. Jody Mack here with you. I see the smiling face. At some point over the next 20 some odd minutes. From Van and uh, NFL columnist Matt Verderam here with us on Birds 365. How are you, MV? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Appreciate you giving us a couple minutes of uh, your time. Um, Andy Reid left last week's loss to the Chargers immediately after the game, went to the hospital via ambulance, we're told could have been dehydration, overabundance of caution. Uh, Andy Reid going to be good to go this week? Uh, what what further information have you got about Andy Reid and his physical health? Yeah, uh, the, the, the word is that it is dehydration or was dehydration. He left the hospital on Monday. He was back at the facility on Tuesday and working and getting ready for the Eagles. So seems fine. He he spoke to the media yesterday as he normally does for his, his Wednesday press conference. Uh, he he didn't look any worse for the wear. Didn't sound any worse. So yeah, uh, all all systems apparently go uh, as as he heads back to a very important place for him. Hey Matt, um, one thing I noticed in the Andy Reid press conference was there there were a couple of Philly guys in there and uh, yesterday, and obviously he got the questions about. His time in Philly, because obviously he's facing the Eagles this week. And I, I thought they were very generic answers, but you, you know how Andy is. He's very sincere, too, with a lot of stuff. And one thing I thought was interesting was he thought the Eagles were in good hands with Nick Sirianni. Do you think that's more of Andy just being respectful toward Philadelphia, or is that just coach speak at this point? Well, look, he says the same thing every week about every team. That doesn't mean maybe, maybe he does believe that about Nick Sirianni, but it's hard to tell because – I remember last year when they played the Jets and they were 21 point favorites at home. And he came out and was like, this is a great team. They're really well coached. We have all the respect in the world. I mean, and it's just, you know, you're sitting there thinking like you could play your backups and win this game. <laughs> and you know, they ended up winning like 40 to nine or something, which by the way, that is the last time the Chiefs have won by, by more than one score. So, and that was week eight of last year. Yeah, it was, a, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. That being said, is it this Chiefs defense? We know that uh, at least last week, turnovers killed them, uh, two yep. interceptions, four fumbled. That was uh, the most indicative stat that came out of that game. But is the Chiefs defense a little overrated that they allow teams to stick around, that the offense can score points, yet the defense gives it back uh, in, in, I don't want to say in droves, but in a good enough uh, amount that it keeps games close? 
are we giving this Chiefs defense, I'll raise my hand, guilty as charged, maybe it's because I'm a Spagnola fan, uh, a little bit too much credit that they're not as good as advertised? Oh, right now they're terrible. Now, I, I do think they should be better and they will get better at some point here. I, they have a lot of talent defensively, but they have not shown it. Now, I will say the, the linebackers might be the slowest linebackers in football. So you can – you can take advantage. Have you seen of the Eagle linebackers? I know it's going to be it's going to be quite a matchup of uh, the second <laughs> levels this weekend. Now, if if you look, if you can match up a running back or a tight end against a Chiefs linebacker, you're going to win every time because they can't cover anybody. Can't cover. They can't run. Anthony Hitchens is a good player, but he's somewhat limited in coverage. And Nick Bolton, there's their rookie second round pick. He's very good coming downhill against the run. He he moves like a nose tackle in space. So, um, look, I think. The rest of the defense, the other two levels, do have a lot of talent, but they've not played up to it. There's been a lot of blown assignments. Um, I do think it'll get better when, I don't know. Last look, last year, they were the worst defense in football in the red zone. The worst. Gave 75%. This year, in the red zone, they've given up 11 touchdowns on 12 trips. And the, only, and the only time they didn't give up a touchdown, a touchdown was called back on a penalty. So – they have been horrific. If Philadelphia can get inside the 20-yard line, they're going to score a touchdown because the Chiefs have no answers. Most of those drives I haven't seen third down. So that it, it's been it's been bad. Yeah, Matt, you actually pointed out uh, – so I got pivoted on this question here because uh, yeah, I know the linebackers have been terrible, but um, everybody seems to think teams are scheming up the Chiefs better and, you know, they're finding ways to beat Patrick Mahomes. Me, personally, I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing the team that just gives up a lot of points and Patrick Mahomes has to come from behind all the time, which I'm shocked they see this. Patrick Mahomes' QB rating is so much higher when he's coming from behind than he is when the game's tied or when they have the lead. So right. do you think teams are scheming them up, like, better? Or? No. no. Nobody has stopped them this year except them. Yeah. They've turned the ball over six times. Last 13 possessions. Yeah. They, they, I think all year – They've punted like three times. Maybe it's four. <laughs> I keep seeing that like all week I've seen, oh, you know, the Chargers, they really slowed them down. The Chiefs had 433 yards and 33 first downs. Like the Chargers did nothing to slow them down that game. Mahomes threw a ball that hit off a receiver's hands in the red zone. There would have been a touchdown and got picked off. Then he, then later in the game, he threw an awful pass. It got picked off. They, yeah. they, they fumbled twice inside the Chargers 30 yard line. Like, the, the, the Chargers didn't slow that. And by the way, the same is true of the Ravens. The Chiefs were winning that game the whole game. They were they were going up and down the field at will, and then Mahomes throws a pick, Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbles, and they lose the game. I think if there's any criticism of the offense right now, it's probably a little bit of, of hero ball with them, if that's the right term. Like they, I think sometimes they're so great offensively they get bored. And I know that almost sounds like an excuse, but if you watch them, I, I think like that really – you know, like the, like the first interception Mahomes threw on Sunday, he had Marcus Kemp, who's a, who's a reserve receiver, was in the game, so he went spread, and he happened to be in the game. He had Marcus Kemp wide open, like nobody within 10 yards of Marcus Kemp, and he threw a no-look pass to him. There's no reason to do it. Like, he had him wide open, but he did it because I think they get bored. They're just so effective all the time. That it was like, well, let's make this a little more fun than it needs to be. The throw was a little bit behind Kemp. Should have caught it, but it hit him in the hands. Bounces up, Santi Samuel Jr. picks it. I, look, if they don't turn the ball over, they'll score 35 points against anybody they play this year. But me, sometimes they get 
too big for their britches. They make mistakes. Fair enough. Uh, let me ask you about uh, Edward Zelaire, who last year did not have a fumble. Right. Uh, eight, 181 carries, zero fumbles. This year he's got two fumbles in 44, one of which was huge as per the time of the game against the Ravens, which allowed the Ravens to take the lead late and uh, beat the Chiefs, stick their first loss on him. Right. An issue, a coincidence, guys just made good defensive plays. Uh, you've seen Edward Hilaire uh, during his entire time in the league, which is now just one year and three games. But right. is this something that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs should be worried about? I don't I don't think so. I mean, he didn't. I, I'm pretty sure he also never fumbled at LSU. I don't think he ever fumbled the ball uh, once in the years. So, you know, he's not a guy who's a history of it. Sometimes stuff happens. Now, I will say that the one against Baltimore was egregious because you know in that spot the only thing you can't do is fumble that ball. Like you know that's the only thing you can't do. You're running into a box of the, the Ravens had 11 guys in the box in that play, and he was carrying the ball with one hand. I mean, that that's you deserve what you get for doing that. But, no, I don't think they're concerned about it. Like they're not a team – even as, as aggressive as Mahomes is, um, they don't turn the ball over typically under Andy Reid. Like they've never had that problem. Now, obviously, for years they had Alex Smith at quarterback, that that being part of the reason. But even in the three years Mahomes has been the starter, like they don't they've never had a fumbling problem. Mahomes has never been a guy who throws a lot of picks. So they it, it, this has been new for them. Like this is not something and some of it's a little bit, you know, just weird. I mean, it, it, they've had they've had some plays where Give the Chargers credit, like just bang, bang, like perfect, you know, helmet on the ball, hand on the ball. But it's been I, – I think it's more flukish than it is like an epidemic with this team. Um, but if they do it again against Philadelphia, people are going to be screaming in Kansas City. Uh, Matt, one thing I will say about the Chiefs, I am been very impressed with this offensive line so far. You know, entirely new comment. I thought they were great on Sunday. And – Green Humphrey and Trey Smith, they look like bargains at this point for what they did, where they drafted them. I I really think that those two guys in particular, um, look, Thune, Thune's been great, right? He comes over, huge money. Uh, Lucas Niang, the right tackle. He had a little bit of a rough time with Bosa, who doesn't? But he's been very good on the whole all season long. Uh, he opted out last year, so technically it's his rookie season. And then – Orlando Brown, they got him, and he he had a little bit of a back and forth with Garrett week one, struggled a little, but other than that, he's been he's been locked in, he's been fantastic. But you're right about Humphrey and Smith. Like they got Humphrey in the second round, Smith in the sixth. Smith fell because of blood clot issues he had at Tennessee. Trey Smith looks like he's gonna be an all pro. I mean, I, I, it's a lot of hyperbole for three games. I get that, but he has been unbelievable. I mean, they they will line him up one on one with like guys like Brandon Williams in Baltimore, and he just destroys them. I mean, it's, it's been really impressive. Humphrey's more of a technician. You can tell he was a wrestler in his younger days. Um, but he's been really, really good. Only he's given up one pressure in three games. Moves guys. It's going to be a really interesting matchup watching Hargrave and Cox go against that interior. It's going to be a real – that for years was the Chiefs' biggest weakness. They couldn't block inside. Now I think it's their biggest strength. So it'll be very interesting to see that back and forth because obviously those two guys are playing great football. Matty, need your take on the move that the Chiefs made in the last 24, 48 hours. And that's the signing of Josh Gordon, who got reinstated by the league. We know Josh Gordon's story. Tremendous talent. Uh, just continued to fall off the wagon. Right. The Patriots took a chance. The Seahawks take a chance. Now the Chiefs take a chance. 
we, we get it that if you can keep him on the straight and narrow, you got yourself a hell of a talent and you got one for a very inexpensive price. Is it worth the, the, the time, the effort, the potential downside? I don't know how big it is, but he could become a distraction. Uh, were you surprised the Chiefs did it? And why will it work here when it has run its course in other places before? Yeah, well, it, it, it very well may not work. I, I, look, they, I think, bring him in because Demarcus Robinson and McCall Hardman have been guys and nothing more. For, for years on end now. I mean, Hardman's a little bit more of a, of a guy with some upside, but they look, this year has been very obvious with teams have done with them. They've doubled Tyreek Hill on every play and made Kelsey beat him, which Kelsey has beaten everybody to this point. He's, he's averaging hundred yards a game, but Hill had 197 yards in the first game. He went nuts since then he has like 60 yards and teams are saying, basically go ahead with Demarcus Robinson and McCall Hardman beat us. And they have not been able to do it. Now, that that all said, it has not slowed down this offense, which just continues to go up and down the field. But the Chiefs are looking for somebody who they can put opposite of Tyreek Hill, who if he's going against your second or third corner and, and that guy's not getting any help, he can kill him. And, and that's why the Chiefs went out and got Josh Gordon. Now, he won't play this week. I don't think he'll play next week. But they are working him up to speed. Uh, you know, I was told, look, once he gets a little bit of the playbook under, underneath him, once he gets his, his football conditioning, he'll be good to go elevate him quickly. So I would think maybe like week six, they play at Washington. That might be a game where you might see him. Uh, but I don't think there's any downside. You know, you bring him in. If it doesn't work, he's on a practice squad contract. Fine. You move on. Uh, if he does work out, and, and look, he's not going to be 2013 Josh Gordon. But if he's if he's 2018 Josh Gordon with 750 yards, like that's a big get for them because right now, other than Hill and Kelsey, there's no other guy that makes a defense sweat. Yeah, Matt, and uh, you know, Jerry brought up Josh Gordon. I wanted to bring him up too. Um, you know, yesterday they asked Patrick Mahomes about. It. He basically said, you know, he gave him the green light for this and definitely put in his input. Like, how much over the years now? I, I know it's gotten better, but how much over the years has Patrick Mahomes' influence been on what this Chiefs front office does? He has input. I mean, he had a lot of input in them drafting Edwards Alaire. So he I, certainly he doesn't make the decision. Andy, Andy and, and Brett Beach, I think that's a pretty strong partnership going back. Obviously, both guys from Philly for a very long time, and 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 they, they trust each other. I think like a Andy is the guy in that that building who ultimately, more than anybody else, has you know swings the biggest stick, so to speak. But. You know, Veach really does have quite a bit of power there. And I, I think, you know, those two will make the, make the choice. That said, yeah, they're going to talk to their $500 million quarterback. I mean, that that's something that they believe in. They, they, they don't shy away from that. Um, you know, he's more than just their quarterback. In a lot of ways, he's, he's almost like another CEO with them. So uh, I, I don't think they would have made the move if Mahomes wasn't confident in it. But, look, you know, Gordon – forgive me if I'm forgetting something, but most of his career, it's, you know, he's not been a guy who's been in a bunch of trouble because he's a bad guy. He's been in trouble because of substance abuse issues. Yep. So, you know, I think it's a little bit different. And the Chiefs have brought in, the Chiefs have taken on all comers over the years. And I know in Philadelphia, Andy Reid would give guys second chances, third chances. It's kind of who he is. It's his MO. But with Gordon, it's all, I think it's really just about, Hey, can you, you know, can you, can you keep a guy in the straight and narrow? Um, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes. But I don't blame them at all for trying it. If it doesn't work, nothing lost. If it does work, it's a huge addition.
All right. I'll readily admit this is looking at it through eagle-colored glasses because Jalen Hurts is not quite Lamar Jackson. But he is a running quarterback who can make plays with his legs. Yep. And Lamar did put up 36 against them with a little help from Edward Chalair putting it on the ground. Uh, but he went for over 100, ran it in himself two times. Can Jalen Hurts with his legs cause problems for Chiefs, if not the way Lamar Jackson did, at least in some fashion? Yeah, because if he gets to the second level, they won't tackle him. Um, yeah, absolutely. Listen. If Nick Sirianni doesn't run the ball a lot in this game, he's nuts. Like, they – I'm not – and I don't believe in the whole, like, well, you know, you got to run for X amount of yards to win. But you have to run the ball against Kansas City to some degree. You have to be able to – it takes time off the clock. You stay ahead of the sticks. The Chiefs pass rush has been awful this season. Awful. Like, Chris Jones has been great. Other than him, they have nobody who can do anything. Frank Clark's always hurt. Even when he plays, yeah, has not been effective. He's missed two of the three games so far this year. Jerron Reed came in and was supposed to be a huge addition. I'm not exaggerating when I say I have literally not seen Jerron Reed in three games. Like, he's on the field. You just, you just never see him do anything. So, they have struggled big time in that regard. However, we all know the Eagles are very banged up up front. And this is the kind of game where Spagnolo will blitz them at will if he's given the opportunity. Like, if they get into spots where it's second and 12, second and 10, third and nine, the one thing the Chiefs can do is play some man coverage. The Chiefs will blitz like crazy to try to get Hurts to make a mistake. So I think it's imperative. You got to hand the ball to Miles Sanders. You got to let Hurts run some of the read option. Let him let him get outside because they can do that. They, they can do that. Now, is it going to be enough to win the game? I don't know. But I think it's – I think it's the way you have to play the game. If they come out and they just throw the ball all over the place, they're going to lose. That, that's at least my opinion. Matt, this is one player I'm really going to keep an eye on this week. I thought Devonta Smith had a really rough two games, and he's pretty much been treated like a number one receiver, like a coverage, all that. You know, Trayvon Diggs, again, they face each other at Alabama, so I kind of write that one off a bit. That could have went your way. But this is a week where I feel Devonta Smith can actually get his and have a big game. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, look, the Chiefs corner situation, they have Mike Hughes, who came over from Minnesota, who has been okay to this point. Shavarius Ward missed last week. He's typically their number two corner. He should be back. He practiced yesterday unlimited with a quad injury. He's a, a good corner, but he, he but he can get beat. Um, the one corner the Chiefs have who is excellent is Legarius Sneed. He's in, in his second year out on Louisiana Tech. He was a he was a day three pick a year ago. He's been he's been phenomenal. So if, if they put him on Smith the whole game, then I think the Chiefs can probably mitigate him to a large degree. But, you know, the Chiefs usually don't travel guys and match up a time. I mean, they'll kind of just play how they play. They line up. They don't worry about it too much. Every once in a while, they'll do that. But, um, yeah, I think he can have a good game. Look, I think the, the tight ends really should have a good game against Kansas City. Ertz and Goddard should go nuts because, again, they can't cover. They just, they cannot cover. Them. I, I think, really, if you're, if you're the Eagles, you should just be trying to figure out how do we get Tight ends and backs on Ben Neiman and Anthony Hitchens, um, you know, and, and Nick Bolton. Because I'm not exaggerating; they will not cover them once. They cannot. It, it, the Chiefs will end up having to try to cover them with Tyron Matthew. That's what'll end up happening. But yeah, I think. Look, this game to me, from the Eagles' offensive standpoint, comes down to can they block up front? Um, the Chiefs have been awful getting home, but 
Spagnolo does have creative ways to, to, to get pressure if he needs to. And that to me is the game. If they can get to Hertz, I think it's a really long day for Philadelphia. If they, if they don't get to him and he's got some time then it's a lot more intriguing. Matty last Eagles chiefs question for you. And then I want to get uh, in one about that thing that's going on up in new England on Sunday night, uh, which should be very interesting. Um, there have been questions about Jalen Hurts here in town that he gets out of the pocket a little too quickly. I think they're actually overstated having watched every play of all three Eagle games so far. But some people say, yeah, he's he's, he's looking to make off schedule plays, get out of the pocket. RPOs, he's holding on to the ball more often. He should have handled it more to Miles Sanders on Monday night. Yeah, seeing as Miles had all of three carries, yeah, he probably should have opted to the run a little bit more often. But he does. He likes to get outside the pocket because he can make plays outside the pocket. But when they go badly, everyone says, I just got to hang in there. You can say the same thing about Patrick Mahomes. I haven't watched that game last week. I thought he was a little skittish and was ready to get out of the pocket. Now, he's Patrick Mahomes with an MVP in his pocket and a Super Bowl championship. Jalen Hurts has got all of seven starts, but... Was that a legit concern and or criticism of your quarterback that the first couple of weeks, because they've got a pretty rebuilt offensive line in front of them, maybe Mahomes was a little quick getting out of the pocket? It's been, if there's any criticism of him, and it's really hard to find, that's probably it. And it has been his whole career. He will drift out of the pocket. He, he, will, he will bail out of pockets that he shouldn't bail out of. Well, like you said, it's kind of hard to get on him when he bails out and then throws a rocket 40 yards downfield. And some guy in hands are like, well, what the hell with it? I mean, let, let him do it, right? Like, when, when Mahomes became their starter in 2018, I remember four or five, like the first four or five games, he would do things that were so unorthodox. You know, you'd be like, what is he doing? Like, what? what like, and it'd be one of those, like, no, 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 oh my God. And then he would throw, throw a missile and hit some guy 30 yards down. You're like, Okay. <laughs> and he did it all the time, and he still does it all the time. So I think, I think like, it, look, it's a valid criticism in the sense that he shouldn't technically do it, but I almost think he's most dangerous when he does it and he gets outside. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, can he? Is he going to run? Is he going to throw? With Hertz, yeah, obviously he's got a lot more to prove. But I think in some ways it stresses the defense out more when when it's off schedule and it's outside the pocket and you don't know what he's going to do. So look. Yes, he's a young kid. You want him to kind of go by the book at times and all that. But when I watch Jalen Hurts, and I've watched a lot of Philadelphia this year, and actually all of his starts last year, I think I think there's a lot of talent there. Like they, you know, is he a franchise guy? I don't know. It's seven starts, but he's a smart kid. He clearly, you know, was somebody who was able to adapt to multiple systems in college. Um, I think he can play, and I think sometimes there has to be some patience in the sense that he is learning with a head coach who was learning with a lot of young offensive players around him behind a beat up offensive line. I think he's going to be a good player. Um, but you know, yeah, you got to live with it. When he makes a great play on the outside, you can't hate when he tries to do it again. That's part of the deal. In Mahomes, that pick against Baltimore, it's one of the worst picks you've ever seen in your life, but he completes that pass like eight out of 10 times. He just does it. So you, you can't go crazy when he gets picked. Like, he does it all the time, and it works, and that's part of part of the deal. Matt, um, you know, Joey wants to bring up Bill Belichick. Um, I'll tie this to Andy Reid a little bit here. So I've been getting um, my big smiles in over the last two years because I, I've been the biggest proponent of it's Tom Brady, it's not Bill Belichick. And Andy Reid could run circles around this head coach 
if he had a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes or he's done it with multiple quarterbacks. Bill has it. So I got to bring the question up to you here. Knowing what we know now, and Bill's – this is almost 150 games with Bill Belichick about Tom Brady. And what Andy Reid has done with McNabb, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, if you had to rank them now, I know Bill's higher than him, but how much has Reid closed the gap on this guy? Well, he's closed it. I mean, he's been to three Super Bowls, obviously only won the only one one. But I, I think Reid in my lifetime, and I'm 33, Reid is the most adaptable offensive coach I've ever seen. I mean, the, the Chiefs played completely differently with Alex Smith. Completely. I mean, the entire offense was scrapped when Mahomes became the starting quarterback. They changed every everything about the way they play football. I don't know too many coaches who would do that, especially considering how successful the Chiefs were with Alex Smith. I mean, they didn't win a Super Bowl, but they were they were really good every year. And Andy just said, "All right, we're done with that. We're gonna." I mean, every year they they change the way they play to some extent. Um, I think the thing with Belichick, and obviously, like you mentioned, you're right. Like without Brady, he has not had a ton of success. But the thing with Belichick that has always impressed me is when you watch them defensively. They are a different team every week. Yeah. Like, it, it's incredible. I remember last year they came to Kansas City on a Monday night game, and, and they, didn't have, they didn't have Cam because of COVID. And Brian Hoyer started the game. And I remember thinking to myself, the Chiefs are going to win this game by 30 points. Brian Hoyer is not going to keep this game close. And Belichick comes out and plays like eight defensive backs. And for two and a half quarters, the Chiefs had no idea what to do with it. Like, they, they should have just run. But they were so flummoxed by it. They kept trying to throw in a coverage. And, and New England was, like, within a point with 10 minutes to go in the game. And I think – so, to me, like, with Belichick, that, that's the genius. It was when he was the coordinator with the Giants. It's what he did his whole career there. Um, but Andy is kind of the answer to that on the offensive side in a lot of ways. Because he's just – he's so capable of just completely switching what he does. And it's, it's, it's incredibly impressive. All right, Matty V, last one for that game on Sunday night between the Patriots and the Buccaneers, Belichick against Brady. Give me a prediction of any sort. Take it wherever you want. Something that's going to transpire before the game starts till after the game is over and done with. I'm giving you a nice wide berth here. You want to give me a final score? That's fine. But if you want to go in another direction, that's cool too. Give me a prediction for Sunday night, Patriots uh, against the Bucs. I don't think that Brady and Belichick will talk to each other before the game. I think after the game, they will, but it'll be a very quick handshake, see you out the door. I don't think there's a lot of love lost. Um, and then for a score, I, I, I think the line is like six or seven. I, I think Tampa Bay is going to just crush New England. Really? I, I, I wouldn't bet against Brady in this game. Belichick can do all he wants. He's not on the field. And they're not nearly as talented as Tampa. Tampa's coming off a loss. Like, I, I think Brady in this game, if there's ever a game that Brady's going to say, I'm not, we're not running the ball, I'm throwing it 60 times. I don't care. We're going to stick it in their ear every time we have the ball. Like I look, I think I think early in the game, Belichick will get him on a few things because he'll he'll throw wrinkles in. Brady, you know, Brady will expect to see one thing he's seen for 20 years and he'll change something. But I think once Brady figures it out. I think he's gonna have a very, very big game on Sunday night. So Matt, we're not gonna get we're not gonna get the Belichick Parcel stare down when they met. I think it was what, 2004? <laughs> when they, they they just kind of looked at each other and that was it. I really I could be wrong. Maybe they're all in love. I, I don't think so. 
I think I think Brady will be more lovely with McDaniel's than he will be with Belichick. I, I think I think there's just going to be kind of a okay, hey, how you doing? I'm going to try to kick your ass now for 60 minutes. I think that's going to be. <laughs> it's, I love it. You know, kind of the only game I can really think of that has it, that feel in my entire life was Chiefs Niners with Montana in '94. Now that game was at Arrowhead, but there was I mean the amount of tension going into that game. I was only a kid, but even I remember that game. Like oh, that yeah. game, was, there was so much tension. They know, of course, Montana ends up winning the game. The Niners got the last laugh to win the Super Bowl that year. But right. even when Manning went back to Indy, like, they left on good terms. You know, there was a tearful press conference. And, you know, I think Manning understood, you know, hey, look, I'm coming off a neck injury and you know, all these surgeries. Brady's like, F you, man. Like, I can still play. <laughs> like, you you effed up. And I'm going to show you how – like, I I wouldn't want to be Belichick in this game. I, Brady wins every big game he's ever involved in. I would – you – could not pay me enough to be on the sideline tonight or on Sunday via the Pats. I, I do not think it's going to be pretty. All right, we'll finish it with this. I'm setting the over-under. In-game cutaways of the owner of the New England Patriots, one and a half. Oh. So to get the over, you got to get two. Will NBC go to Kraft more than twice in a game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I really? the over. I, I, if you had said three and a half, I would have taken the over. I, yeah. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna be panning up there. Grass going to be sitting up there with the, with the dress shirt that always has a different color collar. Like, they're going to be showing him. Um, oh, yeah. You're going to see a lot of hand. There's going to be a lot of cutaways to boxes, right? Uh, like, Zell is going to be up there, I'm sure. Going to be showing. I mean, that ha, has there ever been? You know, you guys cover the league longer than I have. Has there ever been a game that you can think of where you've had a return like this? I mean, like I said, Montana never went back to San Francisco. It's at Arrowhead. Manning went back on good terms. United never went back. Namath never went back. Is it Favre Holmgren? I, I mean, they left on good – I mean, Holmgren left on good terms. I, I, well, not – I shouldn't say that, but it, it's Favre to, to Minnesota maybe. That, that might be it, but that was a year after it happened. So. Right, year removed. That was the only one I could think of was Favre. I, that's, I mean, if Rodgers ends up leaving Green Bay and he comes back, that'll be similar. But Rodgers has won one Super Bowl. Like, it, look, it's like he's he's an all-time great. Brady is like the, the prodigal son coming home. I mean, that is like, – they people forget how god-awful the Pats were their entire existence yeah. until Brady showed up. Like, that team was – that team was the Bengals, okay? And then Brady got there, and they're the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. Like, I – Look, I, by the way, here's here's my last prediction for that. that. He is going to get a massive ovation. Oh yeah, he will. Like yeah. I've seen people always going to get booed. He's not getting. I mean, yes, there's going to be some some handful of clowns who will boo him, but he he is going to get an overwhelming ovation. That that I am I am certain of. Right, because before the game he hasn't thrown four touchdown passes. That's right. I don't know if they'll cheer him on the way off the field, but they certainly will cheer him on the way into the field. By, by the way, Matt, you and I are the same age. I I remember that week, the Montana game. I was six, seven years old. I just remember the, the hype of that game. The Frank Gifford did an excellent job. I I rewatch that game every once in a while. Frank Gifford did an amazing job hyping up that. I think that was the best Monday Night Football intro of all time. About that that um, I I was six and I remember that game. Um, like it was yesterday, it was week two. I actually, I think I have it on VHS somewhere. Take the game as a kid. It's on YouTube. Oh, oh, I know, yeah. I know. You know, I but I, they had that game, and then three weeks later they played Denver on a Monday night at Mile High. Oh, that was one wow. of the great Monday night games of all time. And I'm again six, stayed up real late that night. I remember it very distinctly. But uh, yeah, look, it should be interesting. I mean, I, I don't think there's ever been an NFL game quite like this one. It, it really hasn't. 
Maddie, we appreciate you getting up early and hopping on with us. You know, we'll uh, touch base a little later in the season. Thanks for jumping on with us today, big guy. Hey, no problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Matt Rotoram from Fansided, uh, outstanding NFL columnist. I knew he'd have some interesting opinions on the game Sunday night. I know the Eagles fans, hopefully they're not licking their wounds like they did against the Cowboys this week after the game against the Chiefs on Sunday. I think it may very well be the case, but we'll save that for tomorrow. All right, come back. we got to put a bow on this show. We're right here on Birds 365. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. The glass is for cocktails, right? It's for this, 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 and that. Is the length of the glass equal to your... You betcha. But is it made out of... Glass? Okay, but is the rip... Smooth? Will you stop doing... That? I'm the professional here. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. All from the company that's highly awarded. Zero cars, zero sugar, and deliciously tasting vodka. So good, it just disappears. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. All right, coming down the home stretch here on a Thursday edition of Birds 365, which means tomorrow. We got a Friday edition of Birds 365, and I'll be here. Johnny Mac will be back. We thank Jeff Kerr for the outstanding job he's done three times this week. 
outstanding out of you, Jeffrey. But as long as I got you, before we wrap up this bad boy, since tomorrow we're giving you the day off, you want to get on the uh, the record here for Chiefs and Eagles on Sunday? Score, outcome, as little as you want, as much as you want. Uh, the floor is yours. Eagles, Chiefs, Sunday, Kerr. What does the scoreboard look like? How's it play out uh, down at the link? I already made my prediction. Um, I already came out on CBSSports.com this morning. So, Chiefs 37, Eagles 20. I'm 3 0 picking the Eagles games this year. I'm I, I'm not proud of that because I was kind of hoping they give Dallas better show than what they gave them. But I remember thinking like five minutes for the game. I'm like, you know what? They're either going to be them or they're going to get blown out. And they got blown out. And, you know, I was way off on the score prediction. I thought it'd be a lot closer than it was. But the result's the result. And, I hope they give Kansas City a game, and I agree with Matt Bertram 100% on this. Chiefs linebackers, they cannot cover at all. They just can't, and their defense has just not been good, but I have a feeling Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo have a little motivation, a little trick up their sleeves. I know Patrick Mahomes knows this is a big game for Andy Reid. Travis Kelsey, same thing. It's, um, you know, it's going to be a – uh, you know, Reed's not going to make it an emotional day, but it is going to be one because it is. He's coming back to the place, you know, he really built. They won their first NFC championship. At, they won an NFC championship at the link there. He did a lot for that franchise. It's definitely going to be emotional. It's only a second time back. It's not like 2013, obviously. You know, that was the game where I kind of laughed at the Eagles because Andy Reed did kick the snot out of them. This time, it's that she should roll away with this one. I'll say that. A couple of things uh, before we wrap the show. I will absolutely tell John McMullen it is his job on Sunday because he gets there about six hours before they kick off. He, he is proud of how early he gets to the stadium on game day. He does get there early. That he needs to take note as to when or if there is any acknowledgement of Andy Reid and how it does come down. So we'll get Johnny Mac uh, locked in on that for both you and I, Jeff. Number two, uh, I, too, depends on how you – uh, decided I'm 3-0 and picking Eagle games as well. Thought they'd win, thought they'd lose, thought they'd lose. So, yeah, I thought the first game was going to be closer than it was. It wasn't. I thought the second game was going to be closer than it was. It wasn't. I said, take the Eagles plus the points. You would have lost on the wager. And I surely thought this last game that the Cowboys just kicked their tails was going to be closer. I probably would have given the points with the Cowboys, but neither here nor there. I'm 3-0 uh, and as well. Yeah, and I'm leaning the Chiefs way tomorrow. But you're going to have to tune right back in here to Birds 365 tomorrow. Jeff Kerr, good job this week. Thank you very much for filling the void. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, Jody. Uh, I, I have a place coming on this. I, I get to talk Eagles for two hours with you. I mean, what is there anything better to do in the morning? It, it's better than digging ditches. We can sure as hell say that. And I don't think the Eagles will dig their ditch on Sunday, but I think they're swimming upstream to use a different metaphor. Come back for more metaphors 22 hours from now, right here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.